Uh, we're going to start in the very beginning of the book of James. If you need a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hands, and somebody on the host team will, uh, will be happy to get you one. Anybody? All right, right over here, just a few. Very cool. You know, there's some, been some incredible things that have gone along with us beginning this new church. And in the beginning, uh, I, I really look forward to one particular part of, of, of planting a church and ministering in the city. And, and one way we can, we can see measurably whether or not we are moving forward and, and on mission with, with God in the way that we want to be is when people who we're inviting to the life of peace with Jesus Christ turn to Christ, and then want to show other people by baptism. And next Sunday, we have our first baptism uh, gathering. And believe it or not, uh, it's going to be downstairs in the pool. I mean, they have three pools. I thought, why not? And uh, so next, uh, next Sunday morning, we're going to have to gather prior to this time. So we're gonna, the service is going to begin at 9.30. So would you join us for that time? It will mean you get here a little bit early. We're going to set out a kind of a little bit of a breakfast spread for you. We'll make sure that the coffee's fresh in case you sleep in on Sunday mornings a little bit. But we just want to uh, celebrate with those being baptized. And we have somewhere uh, between five and ten people that are going to be baptized. I'm really excited because the first person to be baptized is going to be my son, Kobe. And, and I must confess, he's been ready to be baptized for a little while. But knowing that I was planting this church, I've, I've not talked to him about it at all. Uh, and, you know, i just like, I want you to be the first one. And so... Uh, uh, he's excited about it and uh, ready to, to show people that he's made a decision in his heart to follow Jesus, believing that Jesus died for his sins. And uh, he didn't totally understand it. Maybe he will when he's 20, but at seven years old, I see it in him. And it's a really wonderful thing. So several of you will be baptized. Uh, and so please come uh, celebrate with those that are going to be baptized. It's very, very exciting. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, well, today begins a new series where I'm just going to be teaching through the book of James. And, uh, and this book of James is incredible. And if you're new to the Bible, the way that the Bible is laid out, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The New Testament uh, talks about the life of Jesus, uh, tells a story about who He is, and then it talks about the early followers of Christ. This man by the name of James was, according to most scholars, they believe he was the half-brother of Jesus. And what's interesting about James is that James probably did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until he saw Jesus after Jesus died, was buried, and was raised from the dead. So at, after the resurrection, James, the half-brother, saw Jesus and believed. I mean, how could he not? He saw him be crucified on a cross, and then he's raised from the dead. And so this man by the name of James, he was an incredible leader in the early church. Some say that, that other than Peter and Paul, he was the most influential leader in the early days of the Christian church. And just so you know, those early days were very, very difficult. The, uh, the Jews uh, knew knew that when people professed or confessed Jesus as Messiah or Lord, they knew that what those people, the Christians, were saying was different than them. And eventually, the Roman Empire 
understood that what Christians were saying were different than the Jews because for a time they just saw it kind of all a part of Judaism. So whenever the word got out that there was a group of people confessing Jesus as the Messiah, as you can imagine, it was very difficult for them. And not only was it difficult for their families, but it was difficult for their business. It was difficult for uh, them in a time in history in an area where Life was difficult for everybody. And so what James does is he writes this letter. This is one of the earliest letters written after uh, Jesus was, was crucified and raised from the dead. Just 20 or so years after, uh, after that, that time. Uh, and, and what James does is he, he's, he's intensely practical in his instruction to them. And so as we go through this book, we're just going to take our time through it. There are 50 eight imperatives in 108 verses. And what that means is like 58 commands. So I don't know how many of you are into Twitter. Raise your hand if you do Twitter. Okay, so uh, the rest of you need it. It's 2011 people. Um, uh, let's start here. How many of you all have heard of Facebook? Okay, so the next step is Twitter. Okay, Facebook is kind of for, for um, people that don't know how to do Twitter. But anyway, so, so Twitter is like you have 140 characters to say something. Uh, and, and what James has done is, is kind of like uh, tweeted... 54 commands. And so we're just going to walk through this letter in a, in a very um, uh, easy, easy to understand kind of a way so that you can see what James was saying to that group of people that were suffering. Now, how many of you have had a good week? Raise your hand if you've had a good week. Raise your hand if you've had a bad week. Okay, at least one per. Thank you. I need at least one person who's had a bad week. Chris is a policeman, and so I think most weeks are... A little challenging for you guys. Um, but what James does here is he gives some really practical instruction to a group of people who are experiencing suffering, first and foremost, because of their faith. But what he says can also be applied to every area of struggle. And I know in a room this size, with the way the world goes and the way our lives are, each of you have some sort of difficulty you're experiencing in your life. And so this, this is so practical and, and it will be refreshing to you. The, the title of the series, and I'm not much into titles, Andrew gave me this one because he's smarter than me, uh, the book of James, Do You Follow? And so if you are on Twitter, then you can actually follow this series on Twitter. The username is Andrew? A brother of Jesus. That's good. A brother of Jesus. And so if you're on Twitter, then follow that. We'll email it out this week. Uh, if you... Um, if you want to, to follow that and not want to do it now. What's the, what, we, what we'll see here in just a few verses that we're going to be talking about is that we can celebrate that God is working in you through your circumstances, good or bad. And He's working in you to make you complete. Five times in this letter, James talks about God doing something to complete us or to make us perfect. This is a theme for him. He wants to do these things in us and the purpose of them, good and bad, is to make us complete. Isn't it refreshing to know that God is working in our lives? Some of you are new to God and what it even means to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but I want you to know that God is sensitive to where you are and He very much is into meeting you where you are and helping you take the next step, coaching you along the way. I did something uh, this morning that may 
call you into question my sanity. Uh, I did a triathlon this morning, and um, and it it uh, it was hard, and so I'm still kind of sweaty from it. I just want you to know that. So I'm still kind of hot, but I, I got up at four o'clock this morning, and I and I drove to Sugarland. And with several hundred other people, I got into this body of water and I swam 600 yards as fast as I could. And it was going really well. I was a little nervous about the swim because the water was real dark and I kept hearing in my mind like somebody, like there might be an alligator in this water, you know. And, uh, and so I was, I was, anyway, it was, anyway. So, um, and so I'm swimming and I was doing really good until about 100 meters from the end. This guy that was like huge, muscled up, he must not have seen me. Surely he didn't. Because he just comes over and just hammers me right on the head and um so i drowned him that's what i did actually so but anyway so i got out of the water and, and then i and then i got on the bike and uh and ran uh or, or rode the bike for a little while and then, then i ran and it was an interesting experience and here's something that i thought of this morning certainly i thought of you all and having to preach a sermon um i thought of how my training those that are a little further down the line from me you know what they have done They've not said, Russell, you've got to be the fastest person out there. Or you've got to be the strongest person out there. You know what they've said? They said, how fast can you run? Where are you in your fitness? And, and, and let me help you take one step further. And let me tell you what's been important in that one, taking one step in my fitness. Suffering. Difficulty. Along the way, it has been difficult. And there is something about the way God works in us where He uses suffering to grow us and to teach us. So let's read this passage together. Would you stand to your feet and read with me? James chapter 1. Just the first four verses. If you're new to Neartown at the end, we all say together, may God bless the reading of His Word. Thank you for the fist pump, Tim. I appreciate that passion for our kicking it old school. Okay, here we go. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. The command here is found in verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 2, the first four words. Count it all joy. He's commanding them. Count it all joy. How, how do you typically re respond to adversity or to trials, to suffering, to difficulty? Well, James tells them from the very beginning, count it all joy. It's a little annoying if you think about it. I mean, imagine that these people receive this letter from this respected church leader. They're probably wanting to, to be felt sorry for at some level, right? They're, they're experiencing suffering for their faith. And the first words out of his mouth are count it all joy. The word count is, comes from an accounting term where he's saying rather than put it in the deficit column, put your experience in the profit column. You're going to profit from what's happening in your life. This is a theme we see other places in the Bible, like in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Turn there if you like, but I'll read it to you uh, either way. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, we see this theme of, of, experience, uh, of the goodness of suffering. 
More than that, we rejoice in our suffering, suffering, Paul tells the Romans, Christians. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Count it all joy. He commands them to to see their difficulty as a positive thing. Now this little phrase, my brothers, is kind of a fun one because it's a term of endearment. As if he's talking to them, a father to a child. Now I have uh, four children. My oldest son, Kobe, is seven years old. Just completed the first grade. And if I could brag on him for a second, he did really, really, really well. He didn't realize how really smart he is, which is clear that he's more like my wife than me. And, uh, and one thing that I'm learning as a parent is, is this balance of, of teaching him that when he experiences difficulty, it can be a good thing. You know, when they're babies, like we have a three-month-old, I don't want him to experience any suffering, any difficulty, right? That's, that's all we're doing. We're just trying to keep him alive at this point. We're trying to, to feed him as much as is healthy for him and just take care of him, keep one of his siblings from poking his eyes out. And we're just trying to keep him alive. But in his sort of growth, what we're going to be able to do, and I'm doing this in Kobe, is we're going to be able to, to, to teach him that when he experiences suffering or difficulty, he can rejoice because it's good for him. We saw this a lot in the first grade. He experiences the difficulty of some, some strife in one of his relationships at school. He experiences the difficulty of having a difficult workload. Some of you can identify with that. Your difficulty may be your job. So as a father to a son, I, I'm trying to teach him to count it all joy. And here James is as a father to these, these new believers. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. And I, I've mentioned already that, that these trials mostly are resulting from their faith. So what we must do is interpret this, this verse first and foremost as a, a, as a way of James telling them how they're to, to view the world and their faith in God in light of their present circumstance. There are some in, in the church world and the Christian community that would say that God's greatest aim for you is for you to have all blessing and prosperity. But that's totally not accurate in the Scriptures. Instead, what, God, what, what James is saying by way of God's Holy Spirit is that it's a good thing when you encounter trials of various kinds. Trials because of your faith. Trials as a result of just being alive. And all of you have them. Now, we'll make one note here. What James is not talking about is counting joy for the trials that are brought on you because you make ungodly decisions. I remember early in ministry, you get very frustrated working with teenagers because they would come to me and they would talk about their experience of suffering and their difficulty in their faith. And really what was at the root of that is the fact that they were making ungodly, unbiblical choices. And I would say to them, no, you are reaping the consequences of ungodliness. This is not the same category of trial that James is talking to here. So some of you, your trial may be a result of the fact that you've, you're not walking with God. And you must, you absolutely must walk with God. Let me ask you a question. What difficulties are in your life? What difficulties are you experiencing? Is it something on a job? Is it a relationship? How have you responded to that difficulty? 
you lash out to those closest to you because you're stressed out? Do you get really, really down or depressed? That's how some people respond to difficulties. It just suffocates them and buries them. Do you self-medicate? you drink too much? Watch too much TV? How do you respond to the difficulties in your life? Do you get bitter towards God? It's interesting. This has been my experience of planting a church in a city. Although there is a great need for churches in the city, there, most people I'm encountering have some sort of church context. Some of those that no longer go to church don't go to church because they hit a rough patch in their life and they became very bitter towards God. Maybe some of you are here and, and this is your kind of step back into the church. How have you responded to difficulties in your life? Have you become bitter towards God? Is that down deep in you? James is saying, hey, those of you that believe Jesus is Lord, I, I want you to count your difficulty with joy. Put it in the profit column. Because when you encounter trials of various kinds, you should know, look at the next part of the verse, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What is, when he says this word faith, it's interesting. Faith in what? Faith in what? You know, the strength of our faith can be exposed by difficulties. This is one reason difficulties are very good. When I ran this race this morning, uh, the strength of my fitness or lack thereof was exposed about a halfway through the run when my heart felt like it was going to explode. I literally began thinking to myself, and this is, I mean, here's Kelly. She did an Ironman two weeks ago, so this is laughable to these kind of athletes. But for me, I'm a mile and a half in near the end, and I started thinking to myself, who's going to preach? Because I think my heart's going to explode right now. <laughs> like, I, I don't have a backup plan this morning. Um, so exposed where I was in my fitness. And now I can identify and go, you know, I need to work a little bit more on my endurance and my running. Our difficulties can expose where our faith is. It's a good way of measuring where our faith is. Now, an important point here is that when James talks about faith, he's not talking about faith in yourself. He's talking about faith in Jesus. A common American way of understanding faith, even for some of those that would profess that Jesus is Lord, is the response to difficulty is to look within yourself and find that inner strength. How many of you watched the Oprah Winfrey season finale? Come on, fess up. Come on, Jesse. <laughs> Jesse, your arm really shot up. Um, well, one, one thing about Oprah, and I think she is a um, perfectly nice person, and this isn't not, not trying to be mean to her, but one thing about her ideology is that very much she has this ideology that is the way you you get ahead in this life as you look within yourself. And, if, if he, and she said at the end, uh, you know, thank you Jesus, I thank Jesus. So she's kind of like, almost like Jesus is a moral compass and a philosopher, I, she appreciates Him. But really the solution to your difficulty is to look deep within yourself, find the strength, find a champion within you and conquer it. And what James is saying is no. 
The faith that James talks about is faith in Jesus. Recognizing that we don't have enough strength. We don't have enough knowledge. We don't have enough courage. We don't have what it takes to conquer whatever we're suffering from. Instead, what we must do is rely on God. Turn to God. You see, suffering is the greatest motivator to worship. Being people who turn to God, get on their knees. Experiencing difficulty has the, the potential to draw you close to God in a way that you never have been before. It's interesting to think about James here. He's telling them to make a mental decision. And I don't know how you deal with your difficulty. And sometimes we don't feel like giving it to God and talking to God. But what he is telling them is make a mental decision knowing that it's true. Make a mental decision based on this big picture redemptive purpose, believing that whatever difficulty you're experiencing is a result of your faith. Maybe your co-workers are disrespectful to you, or maybe the people you're trying to reach out to, or maybe your family members, or whatever trial you're experiencing. Make a mental decision to see that as an opportunity for joy. In light of the fact that God is working in the world. If you see trials as an inconvenience or a nuisance, you'll react poorly. Look there in verse 4. Just one last verse. He says, Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. You see, there it is. It's interesting as James begins these tweets. The very first one, count it all joy. It kind of levels the playing field, right? No matter what you have going on, count it all joy because God is big enough strong enough smart enough to take care of it now some of you when I talk about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ it's kind of different for you maybe your church background is going to church and that's kind of enough just going to church and so the notion that you can have a relationship with God is is maybe out of your frame of reference or frame of understanding. And what I want you to know is the good news of the Bible, the Gospel. That though we're separated from God because of our sin, God sent Jesus to die on the cross. And in our believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and was raised from the dead as an act of authority and love by God, our believing in that, there's this mysterious exchange where Jesus gets our sin and we get His righteousness. And we get access to God. So when you're experiencing difficulty and you say, God, help me, He will. He doesn't always remove you from that difficulty. Some of the greatest saints to ever live experience difficulty of some type right up to their death. But what He will do is give you that still small voice in your heart He'll give you that, that dose of encouragement. He'll give you hope in the midst of whatever you're feeling hopeless about. And the goodness of it, and the reason we count it all joy, is because we can believe that God is shaping us and making us. You ever heard the phrase, God loves us just the way we are, but He loves us so much He won't leave us the way we are. This is what James is saying. And so as we begin this letter, I hope that you will count it all joy. 
you know, one important thing practically is, is um, the way that you relate to other people in the context of church and relationships with other believers. Because whenever you are experiencing difficulty, and although if you are willing to count it as joy and give it to God, you still need other people to help you. There are times when you've had a good week, times you've had a bad week. And really, Chris is the only one that had a bad week. So all of us should be willing to buy your lunch or send you money or gift cards. or What do you need, Chris? Here it is. Okay, that's, maybe we shouldn't help him. Um, so, do you, you understand? This is the value of the church. You don't have to walk alone. You need the church. One of the cool things that we do uh, uh, when we think of how are we going to accomplish the mission of inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ is we've, we've come up with a strategy. The leadership and the church body has come up with a strategy of connecting to God, connecting to others, and restoring locally and globally. And one way we want you to connect with the body is what's called mission partnership. And there's already, I think, 70 people who said, yeah, I want to partner with Neartown Church on this mission. And everybody, just so you know, that's a mission partner is automatically organized into what's called an NT group. Now, here's how we do what's traditionally known as small groups at Neartown. We say, hey, if you're on mission with us and you said, hey, we want to be in agreement with you that we believe in this mission and that God is doing something, we invite you to mission partnership. We don't just say, okay, now who wants to be in a small group? Because that leaves out a group of people that are unable to be in a small group but want to be on mission. So every person that's on mission with us gets organized into an NT group. They're gender specific. And uh, there's three that meet inside the loop, two that are people that live outside the loop. And what these groups are for is to organize in such a way that you know you have a handful of six or seven other people caring for you, praying for you. Now, of those NT groups, some of the people will be able to meet during the week for one hour a week. So many of you are mission partners or, and you've already gotten information from your NT group leader on that. But if you're interested, I, I want you to know that, that you need other people in the church to walk with you in this life. Because all of us face difficulty. All of us face difficulty.